This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, thank you so much. I just want to make a brief comment. Somebody made a real valid comment, came up to me and, and, and said um, something about... Um, you know, some of the appeals that are made and the fact that people do take calls to go be a missionary or those types of things, I'm in total support of that. And I, and I don't want to sound that I'm not, okay? So please forgive me if it came across that way. If you are one of those who has responded to that call or, or what have you, I'm, I'm totally supportive of that. My appeal to you is that if you have not accepted that call or even if, you know, you've, you've thought in your mind that's the only options is some grandiose thing, and you've never really gotten involved in attending and regularly attending your local church and then trying to find interests to work with and lead to baptism in your local church, I would recommend that you start there. That's just, that's just where I am, and I believe that that's where the great lack is in the church. Um, we have a lot of hit-and-run ministries. And forgive me, I, you know, call it what you want, but I, we have a lot of ministries that, that end up leaving uh, the ball with somebody else, and then there's nobody to pick up the ball because we've taught them that they can do something else. In other words, we've said if you, if you want to lead out a, a cooking school or you want to um, be a greeter here or you want to do this, then that fulfills your calling as a witness. And I, I'm not telling you that everybody's going to do it in exactly the same way, but I'm going to share a few quotes with you that basically strike the fact that we need to be sharing our message with people. And, and, uh, and that's just a, a part that's missing. I, you know, if you look at the church and the work of the church as a funnel, you know, there's all sorts of ministries on the outside of the funnel. I mean, just about every ministry you can think of, um, from health ministry to community outreach to all sorts of, of things on the outside of that funnel. But before anybody becomes a Seventh-day Adventist, they have to come through the base of that funnel. And what's there? Bible studies or evangelistic meetings in some cases. But they've got to hear the full message and embrace it and accept it. Even those who say, we loved them into the church. Well, you may have loved them, but before, hopefully at some point, they were gripped by the three angels. Because if they weren't, then when your love flickers, because it does, they'll be gone. What has to bring people is is the message. And so that funnel, down at the, everybody is working on the top of the funnel and thinking that fulfills their duty, and we have hardly anybody willing to work at the base of the funnel where it actually happens. And so my appeal to you is, if you're looking for a place where there's a need, friends, give one Bible study a week. And if that Bible study falls off, go get another one and commit to one Bible study a week. You say, I don't know how. Figure it out. No, no. No, go get, go get, go talk to your pastor. Go talk to, you know, one of the uh, training schools. And I'm perf- uh, personally partial to the Emanuel Institute, uh, the Michigan Conference Training School, um, partially because my brother is the director. Um, but not only that, also because there's a lot that happens at Emanuel that's purposely connecting people to the work of the local church where the action happens. And a lot of the things that I'll be sharing with you are, are shared at Emmanuel in a little bit greater d- degree. But anyway, I'm, I believe in the training schools, but let's make that commitment. 
We need people who are willing to share the truth. Now, we haven't prayed in this session, so let's bow our heads and, and start with prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the time that we have now to spend, and we pray that as we look at tools to transform our local church, that you will bless us with every blessing of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to pick up. Some of you are coming in new, and uh, you might need to look off of a neighbor, because I think that we passed all these out. But um, if you don't have any of these handouts, what's that? Oh, there's extras over there? Okay, I wonder if some of our helpers would be willing. If you don't have um, the handouts, I'm going to be looking at a couple of them here. The Q&A on personal soul-winning labor, and then uh, another one called the Four Key Characteristics of a Training Center Church. I'm going to look first at the back page of this Q&A on personal truth-sharing labor. Um, that's where I left off, and before I get into the next session, I want to, I want to finish that. Um, take a look with me at a couple of these quotes. The first quote I want you to see is the large one on the back that talks about the work of guess who? The pastor. Yes, we need to understand the work of the pastor. So let's read what Christian Service, page 70, has to say. In some respects, the pastor occupies a position similar to that of the foreman of a gang of laboring men or the captain of a ship's crew. They are expected to see that the men over whom they are set do the work assigned to them correctly and promptly, and only in case of emergency are they to execute in detail. The owner of a large mill once found his superintendent in a wheel pit, making some simple repairs, while a half dozen workmen in that line were standing by idly looking on. The proprietor, after learning the facts, so as to be sure that no injustice was done, called the foreman to his office and handed him his discharge with full pay. He fired it. In surprise, the foreman asked for an explanation. It was given in these words. I employed you to keep six men at work. I found the six idle and you doing the work of but one. Your work could have been done just as well by any one of the six. I cannot afford to pay the wages of seven for you to teach the six how to be idle. Woo! That's an indictment, isn't it? Okay, let's be kind This is not always the easiest thing for a pastor to do when the culture of the church has essentially taught the lay people that that type of work, actually explaining the scriptures and leading people to decisions and that type of thing, is the pastor and Bible worker's job. So it's not always easy for the pastor to put people to work at that when there aren't any people who are really wanting to do it. So, we have to have a transformation, a reformation of the mindset of the entire church. Now, let me say a couple things about this quote that are very important that you might not have caught. One is, notice that the employer says to the foreman, I found the sixth idol in you doing the work of but one. Your work could have been done, what? Just as well. Huh? Wait a minute. Why do you want the pastor to study with that person? Well, because they can do it better. They know the answers to the questions. They know how to explain it. I I just can't explain it that way, right? So we think that they can do it better. No, that's not the case. According to the quote, any one of the six could have done it just as well as the pastor. You, as a layperson, can lead someone to Christ just as well as a pastor. 
In fact, it was as a layperson that I started leading people to Christ, and then they said, oh, you should be a pastor. Right? I shouldn't have listened to them. I should have just stuck, dug my heels in and stayed a layperson. Anyway, uh, the Lord had other plans. Now, let me say, how many of you have ever read the, uh, the parable of the sower and the seed? You remember that? In the parable of the sower and the seed, there are different things that happen to the seed. In some cases, or you have one where the, it's choked, right, and the thorns, and then you have some that falls by the wayside, and then you have some that's on stony ground, you have some that's on good ground. What makes a difference, what makes the difference in how the results come? Is it because the sower, in one case, threw the seed behind his back. And in another seed, he threw it in a clump. Or in another case, he threw it in a clump. In another case, he sprayed it. Is that what made the difference? What made the difference? The soil. What does the soil represent? The heart. Let me just tell you that the key to winning a soul is less about what you know than it is about your ability to come close to people and just bring down the defenses and win their heart. You win their heart, the truth will do the work. It's very effective. It does it. You don't. So there's a lot of lay people who don't recognize that it's not in how you explain it per se. It has to do with finding people whose hearts are open to the truth. And if you want to know the real problem that lay people have had and they've struggled with in winning souls, it's that they go to that neighbor whose heart's door is as closed as their shed, and they try to get in, and they can't, and they say, I'm just not good at this. No. If you will learn that our first job is to work in the harvest, that is among those who are ripe, By all means, be planting seeds and building relationships with some to try and prepare them to be open. But the majority of your work should be to find and then invest time in those who are already open. Because guess what? They won't be open forever. The time will come when that ripe fruit will fall off and rot if somebody does not go and work with them. And so the key is not in you but in the soil. And that's why you can do it just as well as the pastor. According to the quote, any one of the six could have done it just as well as that one. And so the foreman, the pastor's job, is to encourage and equip every disciple of Christ to begin to engage in that kind of work. And what kind of work? I'm going to share it with you now. Look at the quote right underneath that. It starts, let ministers. Do you see it? Let ministers teach church members. Okay, so this is what I'm being told by inspiration to teach you. Okay? Let ministers teach church members that in order to do what? Grow in spirituality. If you want to grow, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them. The burden of leading souls into the truth. If you want to grow in spirituality, look, I'm a man. I have no business 
placing any burden upon you. But as a minister, I am duty-bound to tell you of any burden that the Lord has laid upon you. And the Lord has laid upon you a burden which if you do not carry, you will not grow in spirituality. And that burden is the burden of leading souls into the truth. You see it right there? Accepting that burden is the great awakening that the Seventh-day Adventist Church needs. If that burden was truly accepted by every participant at GYC, they would go back to their churches. And as we said yesterday, as Pastor Bradshaw said yesterday, you would not need to try and figure out where to work because that burden would drive you. That burden would lead you. And you would say, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. I've got to share the truth with others. That's a burden that the Lord has laid upon all of us. And let me just say, He's laid it upon me, not because I'm a minister, but because I'm a disciple of Christ. He's laid it upon the Michigan Conference President, Jay Gallimore, not because he is the Michigan Conference President, but because he's a disciple of Christ. And we've talked about this. You know, some of the conference brethren sometimes can get so caught up in the work that they're not actually giving a personal Bible study to somebody. But let's not get so caught up in the work of the corporate structure that there's nobody actually, personally winning souls by sharing the evidences of our faith. And we've got so many tools in the church to do it now. So many tools. We just need to accept the calling. When we accept the calling, this place will go up in flames. The Holy Spirit type of flames. Now, if you'll notice... A couple more quotes. I'm going to just hammer this home with these quotes. Look at uh, the middle of the page. In every church, the members should be so trained that they will do something. What does it say? Devote time to the winning of souls to Christ. Now, should you witness to people by the water cooler at work? Should you witness to your grocery store clerk? Should you witness to the maid in your hotel room? And the guy next to you on the airplane. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to make a confession. I am awful at that. I don't like it, and I fight it. But there is something even more important than that. Can you call any of those things devoting time to winning souls to Christ? In truth... Those things are things that happen as you go along your way. But when you devote time, you're actually setting aside time. Right? It's not something that just happens to, you know, you fit it in because, you know, you're going along your way and so you're going to... That's all important. I'm not knocking it in the slightest. But this quote seems to imply something different. It says ministers should teach church members to devote time. You know what that looks like? That looks like saying, you know what? I'd like to meet with you and maybe we could study the Bible together. That's what that looks like. You guys think that's super hard, but it's really not. I'll tell you what. I went to a, uh, back in Pennsylvania camp meeting, oh, it's probably 10, 12 years ago. 
I went to a seminar by Pastor Tony Cerigliano. Does anybody remember Pastor Tony? Pastor Tony Cerigliano? Oh, man, he's a wonderful guy. Um, but anyway, Pastor Tony had this surefire method to get a Bible study. And I'm going to tell you Pastor Tony's surefire method. Here's what he did. He brought us in and he said, I can tell you a way to get a Bible study. It's nine times out of ten effective. He said, who wants to try it? Before you leave today, it was Monday, the first day of the seminar, right? Who wants to try it? And uh, I'm not naturally a sanguine, so I didn't raise my hand. But several other people did, and they said, okay, and here's the secret. Here's the surefire method. And then he says, you talk to this person and you say, I'm taking a class on evangelism, and they're wanting us to give someone a Bible study. Would you be willing to take a Bible study for me, to study the Bible with me and go through these lessons with me? He said, that's it. I thought, oh, boy. And the next day, Tuesday, we came back to class. The first thing he did was said, all right, who, who took the challenge to call somebody and ask him for a Bible study? And they raised their hand, you know. And he said, tell me what happened. Every one of them got the Bible study. I thought, oh, no. He says, okay, who now wants to do it? And I had been thinking about it a little bit, and my little brother, who I had led into the world with my, by my example, and I still had a burden for, I thought maybe he would be willing, you know. So I raised my hand. And that afternoon, after this session was over, I went to the payphone. We didn't have cell phones. I don't think we even had cell phones. But anyway, went to the payphone, and I called my little brother. And I said, hey, Ron. He had a girl, longtime girlfriend uh, named Danielle. I said, hey, Ron. Yeah, uh, this is James. I call, he called me James. Anyway, and I'm at this uh, camp meeting, and I'm taking this class. It's like this training class on evangelism or whatever. And they're wanting us to uh, find someone to study the Bible with. So I was thinking maybe when I get back into town that uh, you and Danielle would maybe want to study. We could just sit down and study the Bible together. I've got some lessons we could use or something like that. Now, now wait, he says, is this a trick? <laughs> it worked for everybody else. So I said, no, it's not a trick. Look, if you don't want to do it, it's fine. I mean, I can, I can call somebody else. Uh, I, guess, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I got into class, and I was like, yeah, and I told the whole story, and then I went and studied with him. I, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I think I took Steps to Christ, and we started walking through Steps to Christ together. And uh, he was semi-interested, but he was just too young, and his girlfriend was totally uninterested, and he loved her too much, and so he stayed with her after about seven years, right before they were about to get married. They'd been living together for years and everything else. She dumped him. He went into the pits, met a girl, she got pregnant, he comes and sees me and says, we're going to have a kid, we feel like they need a better life than what we have, and we're thinking about going to church. Her brother is a youth pastor at a non-denominational church, will you tell her why we should be going to the Adventist church? I said, well, I can't do that. I think before you go to church somewhere, you probably ought to know what you believe from the Bible. So what I'd love to do is just sit down with both of you and study the Bible with you. So we did. And after a year and a half, right before I left Ohio to go to Michigan, I baptized my little brother and his, uh, and his uh, soon-to-be, well, at that time his wife, yeah. So anyway, I was loving Pastor Tony's surefire method. But then one day I realized that he was really just tricking us. 
He was. I learned that the surefire method was even simpler. Ask. Do you know why we don't have Bible studies? We don't ask. Oh my goodness, it was so simple I couldn't even believe it. I started teaching this Sabbath school class, uh, a new believers type of Sabbath school class, you know. And there was a young lady who came and she had come from the internet, learned about the Sabbath, but she didn't know anything else about Adventists. And she sat in the class for a few minutes, uh, you know, only about half the class, but she seemed pretty interested. So after the class, after everybody broke, I did what every Sabbath school teacher should do when a new visitor visits their class. I went up to her and I said, hey, I don't know if, if, if you enjoyed that. Um, what I like to do is just study with people on the side. And I can, you know, there's a lot of stuff you, you missed from the class, but I'd love to use some lessons and, and just study with you. Oh, I've been looking for somebody to do that. Studied with her and she was baptized. This was all before I was a pastor, by the way. Yeah, at that time that I studied with her, there were about four people that I studied with who were all baptized just from going and asking people if they wanted to study the Bible. The reason we do not get Bible studies is because we do not ask. And the reason we do not ask is because we don't want them. And the reason we don't want them is because we have not accepted the burden that the Lord has laid upon us. The burden of leading souls into the truth. So anyway, there's my story. So this is good for your reference. Just uh, keep an eye on that. And by the way, let me just say something about that. Um, Emmanuel Institute that I'm partnered with, and they're all part of the Michigan Conference team that's working on developing training center churches. Um, they put together this little card that's at the Emmanuel booth, but I've got a bunch of them here if you're interested. And I, I've got some resources I'm sharing, like these that, I've, that I handed out, that if you want them, but more than just like this, there's a little QR code on the back of this, and you just... You just put that on your little app, you know, and uh, it'll take you right to the website, Emanuel Institute website, where it's got Training Center Church resources, and you're about to see some more, and you can get all of them. And these little cards are right up here for your taking. And I'll say a little bit about some of the other stuff there uh, when we get to the end. All right. Now, do you guys have this? It says, uh, whoops, I'm sorry, four key characteristics of a Training Center Church. I want to talk to you specifically about uh, two of those characteristics. And then in the next session, I'm going to talk about the last two. The one that people get most excited about, I'll just tell you right now, is in the next session. So if you were going to miss a session, this was the one to miss. So, um, so I, <laughs> I always tell people that in evangelistic meetings too. Um, so the next one is going to be on new member discipleship, at least a good portion of it. And you're going to like that. So, uh, but you're going to like this too. Don't worry. Okay, I'm going to get to something here in a second. Da, 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 da. No, that's not it. any. None of that's what I want. I'm going to go back here. This is what I want. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. All right. Take a look at this handout again. I want to remind you of these four characteristics that we've developed in our study of Christian service and what have you, when I say we, there's a, there's a committee in the Michigan Conference, a small committee of pastors, who's been focusing on how to bring about this reformation of the model of the local church to bring back the powerful presence of the laity that was in the book of Acts. And uh, that is all about developing training center churches. And the first thing we need to do is create a culture of the Great Commission. Now, how do you create a culture of the Great Commission? 
Well, first and foremost, we need to recognize that the Great Commission is the primary core value of the church. What does that mean? Well, a core value is something that is so much a part of you that it's visible and it's observable in all of your behavior. So let's take it for instance. Bible study should be a core value for every Seventh-day Adventist. If Bible study is a core value, then what can clearly be seen in your life? Help me. You're studying the Bible. Okay? Now, if you leave your Bible at church and you don't realize it until you get there next Sabbath, is Bible study a core value? No, it's not that you don't want to study the Bible. It's, it's probably not a core value, though. It's a desired value. For most Seventh-day Adventist church members, personal ministry or witnessing or soul winning is a desired value. But in order for the church to receive a transformation, the culture of the Great Commission needs to be the primary core value of the church. That means that when there's a major evangelistic push for the church, there aren't arguments from one department who says, oh, but we've got a special luncheon planned in that room that you want to use for the evangelistic meetings. And uh, so we, you know, we would, can you coordinate, can you skip that date or whatever? We've got to get it through our head what is first and foremost in the church. And that is the Great Commission. That means that we shouldn't have to argue with our treasurer to provide money for resources for personal soul winning. We shouldn't have to do that. If it's the primary core value of the church, then it will be seen. That means it will be what most of your people are into. It's what your money is willingly invested into. It's where your resources are given. It can be seen that it's the primary core value of the church. And that's where we need to get to, is where the Great Commission is the primary core value of the church. Well, how do we do that? Let me give you a couple of ways. First way that I recommend is that you encourage, and these are where ideas come in, and some of you are going to be able to put these into place, and some of you are going to just have to suggest them. But you encourage that the church, whether in prayer meeting or through your church board, if you have influence on that level or whatever, do some reading. I'm going to give you some assigned reading, and I'm going to encourage you to encourage others in your church to do this reading. Are you ready? All right. The book, Christian Service. Not the whole book, but the chapter entitled, The Church, a Training Center. Okay? That one specifically. And then, uh, there's another one, but I've got, to, I've got to get to it to remember the title of it. Da, 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 da. Cooperation of Ministers and Laymen, chapter 7. Those two chapters. One other chapter that you must read, and that is in the book Education. You guys familiar with that book? Book Education has a chapter called The Life Work. The Life Work. Every school principal and teacher ought to read the book Education, the chapter The Life Work. It would transform our schools into what they are intended to be. Now, just give those, to to start the wheels turning, you need to start orienting people. 
And I encourage people to take things like this church model and the Q&A on personal soul-winning labor, share it. Read it in a prayer meeting or, or, or share it with your leaders and say, you know, this stuff's really got me stirred. Maybe we should start putting an emphasis on trying to revive our laity in personal ministry, in personal work. Maybe we should start thinking about that and start getting the buzz going. You've got to start somewhere, and I would suggest to start the culture moving that direction, you've got to start communicating the principles of a training center church. Now, the next thing you really need to be thinking about is a soul-winning atmosphere at your church. A soul-winning atmosphere. What is not a soul-winning atmosphere? I'm going, to, I'm going to hold off on that one. What is not a soul-winning atmosphere? Well, certainly, certainly, I'm putting it out there so you don't look there. Certainly, it's not a soul-winning atmosphere if when you walk into the foyer, there are a pocket of people talking over here, and a pocket of people talking over here, and you go up to the podium and pick up a bulletin and look at the pocket of people and look at that pocket of people and keep walking, right? Or you have a greeter, perhaps, but the greeter is merely a smiling bulletin dispenser. Okay? These things are good to have a greeter there smiling, but there's got to be something more. There's got to be something about your church that says, we are a soul-winning machine. This is what we are about. This is our culture. Let me give you a few things that you might consider to develop that culture. First of all, you should have in your church, you should have uh, a way for your church members to easily share their faith. What's the easiest way to help your church members share their faith? Literature, right? Okay, so what does your literature rack in your church look like? There you go. Thank you, brother. Let's, let's look at... I, I've got this a little bit out of order, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to skip ahead here. I'm going to get back to that. Okay. Does it look like that? <clears throat> There's a little friend there. There's a Lake Union Herald. That, If you were to look at the back of that Lake Union Herald, what would you see on there? You wouldn't see the address. Because somebody would have the black marker right through the address, right? Because our dear saints, for so many years have felt that part of their ministry, and bless their hearts, it's a good ministry, but is to take their old Adventist reviews and Lake Union Heralds and Adventist Frontier Mission magazines and put black, black out their address and name and put them in the literature rack. So, what's the problem with that? Well, by the way, this literature rack exists in my church. Now, you think that's a problem. Well, who are you to tell us? Uh, let me tell you why that literature rack exists in our church. Because I wasn't born yesterday. And I know that some of these members, it's their heart and soul to do. This is their ministry, right? 
So this, don't tell anybody, this is my quarantined literature rack. This is the one where if I see any, like you hear, any of it, I go right here and I just put them right in there. It sits there. I've never seen anybody pull anything off of it. But it's there, and it makes some people feel a lot better. Now, <laughs> so this is one thing. I've, they had this big contraption at the church I was at, and I ended up using it. We're getting ready to do something different. But we have Patriarchs and Prophets, Great Controversy, Desire of Ages, Steps to Christ, Bible Readings. We have Signs, Tracks, Final Events. We've got different things out there now. We've got some Sabbath, uh, Mark Finley's uh, Almost Forgotten Day, um, Balance Magazines, which Mission Conference produces, Hidden Truth by Amazing Facts. We mix in different things at different times, but ultimately, uh, this rack is all free. Free to visitors and free to church members for what purpose? To share. In fact, we have another rack that's right next to that one. These are all Amazing Facts pocketbooks. I purposefully, and glow tracks, and I purposefully picked, uh, they have like a hundred of them, right? So I picked glow tra- or, uh, pocketbooks to match the different questions and doctrinal areas that people might have, so that I have a good, uh, you know, broad picture of the message, and uh, I, put them, I put them right out there. You know, even, even sensitive stuff like alcohol and, and uh, jewelry, I put it right out there. You know why I do that? I have a problem with people learning about, um, about our lifestyle standards by an off-the-cuff comment in Sabbath school. Okay? Yeah, when I had to struggle to do such and such, you know, it was, and somebody's thinking, you what? I never knew, what? You know, there's a new person there. They didn't, we haven't got to that point. That's lesson number whatever. And so they are hearing this for the first time in this off-the-cuff comment. I have a problem with that. But I don't have a problem with them learning about it and having a tract and reading the full argument scripturally right there, even if it's earlier than lesson number whatever. If they're already in our church, they're going to find out one way or another. I'd like them to read about it in a a logical, reasoned argument from the scripture. And uh, so I don't have any problem putting those things on the rack. But these, you you guys know how much those cost? What's that? About a buck. So, what's that mean? Cha-ching, right? Your treasure is going, wait a minute, we've never done that before, Pastor. Because here's what happens. You put that rack up, and here's, here's what you do. You tell the church, you say, these are for visitors, and they are for you to share with others. They're not for your personal library. And that week, what happens? They're all gone. So, you, put, you, you go to your shelf and you pull from your stock, and you put them back out on the rack, and next week, they're all gone. But, on the third week, after they've all sufficiently filled their library, (laughs) you now have an active literature ministry for people who use those things to share their faith with others, and for visitors who are curious and who want to learn about our faith. And you know what this does more than just provide those things, it says we believe in sharing our message. It says something. It's about culture. It's about culture. And uh, get past that. 
This is another thing we do. We have a DVD rack. And by the way, we're encouraging this across Michigan. So we're, we're really trying to push personal ministry. And uh, so many churches in Michigan are developing things like this. Um, and many of your churches, I'm sure, have too. But this is, a, this is a little different than what it's been in the past. You remember back in the day, there was, uh, you know, you had the full set of Mark Finley net whatever videotapes. And then you had to loan them out. Well, then the next time you go to loan them out, it's missing number 14 and 17. And then, you know, and they just end up sitting somewhere in the back, and then that's it. What this does is we mass produce. And I'm, right now, we're still using this series by David Asherick because he had some foldable lessons that we can just print and copy on some resume paper and tuck them in. And this is lesson number one, number two, number three, number four. And members can just go and take them. Um, if you want a return bin, you can do that. But I just have gotten tired of it, and we just, they're expendable. It costs about 60 cents for one of those. And we mass produce them. When the media guys know, hey, look, when that inventory gets low, stock it up. And we just produced a, these pegs so we could hang them. We inventory them by DVD because if you do it by set, what happens? They're gone. It's just, it's just too difficult. And plus, there's so many more, those of you who are soul winners know from giving Bible studies, that number one and number two, you always need a lot more of, right? Because people drop off. They're not interested or whatever. Um, so you, you inventory them by set. There's the whole thing there. And uh, we're getting ready to develop a whole personal ministers resource center right underneath that. Yes. Oh, copyright, that old thing. Good point. This particular set, the reason, one of the reasons that I copied is because it's, you know, free to copy. Okay, but you do need to be careful with some ministries, you know, Amazing Facts or whatever you want to call them, and ask them if you're going to do mass duplication. But I encourage mass duplication. And more and more are allowing it. And if, if somebody doesn't allow it, use somebody else. And if you've got a local pastor who does it, film it and use it. I, we send out mine too. I, I have my own series that's been copied many times. So, uh, but having lessons to go, and you can hang them on the door if somebody's not there. Look, I tell my elders, an elder who was really struggling with me on this personal ministry stuff, and I'm like, look, I know you're busy, but Sabbath you know, you can't be working then, right? So here's what you do. We'll find you a drop-off Bible study, somebody who's willing to just view the DVDs, and then you can drop them off on your way home from church every week. Huh? And if that one doesn't work out, then we'll find you another one or whatever. How tough is that? Can you do that? You can do it, but not if there's no resources. Did you know that the personal ministry department in the church manual, it states that the personal ministry department's purpose is to provide resources and training for every member to be involved in soul winning. Personal ministries department leaders, your job is not to do all the Bible studies. Your job is to provide resources and to promote them to the church members. Let me give you a couple ways to do that. Have a ministry highlight time during your church service. Every church service, if you can, and you can give testimonies during that time. You can promote resources during that time. You can uh, give witnessing tips during that time. You can highlight some ministry that's happening during that time. But it helps to shape the culture of the church. 
have a visitor ministry in your church. Meaning, visitors should receive a gift when they come to your church. There should be a clear plan for some type of card or visit to follow up their visit. There should be a pew card, some way for them to say if they're interested in Bible studies or knowing more about the church or whatever. These, thing, these things are simple, and sometimes we have some of them, but we need, to cap, we need to cast the net in as many ways as possible, and these will all create a culture in your church where the church members start saying, hey, this is like what we do. This is, this is our culture. You need a soul-winning culture in the church. Now, uh, I'm going to get... That's just showing it from a different angle. But I'm going to real quickly talk about... Um, one other point here, and that is the second item on this list. And I'm going to talk about part of it, but I'm going to finish it up next time. Functional church structure is the second important. You need a, a culture of soul winning and a soul winning atmosphere in your church. And I give you a few ideas for that, but I want to talk about functional church structure for a minute. And I'm just going to open up the idea, and then I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to, have to really hit on it more next time. Um, that's not where I want to be. Is that it? No, I lost it. Oh, no, I went past it. That's what happened. Okay. The church board. I want to talk to you for a minute about the church board. Some of you have never been exposed to the church board, and you're probably glad that you haven't. But I want to tell you what the work of the church board is, according to the Seventh Avenue Church Manual. The number one work of the church board Planning evangelism in all of its phases. Since evangelism is the primary work of the church, the first item on the agenda of each church board meeting is to relate directly to the evangelization of the outreach territory of the church. That's pretty big. So the second item must be maintenance, right? No? The second work of the church board, coordinating outreach programs of departments. You guys are taking pictures, but if you get a church manual, it's all in there. (laughs) The third work of the church board, encouraging and helping the personal ministries department of the church to enlist all church members and children in some form of personal outreach service. Training classes should be conducted in various lines of outreach ministry. Can we please get to the maintenance, right? No. Number four work of the church board cooperating with the interest coordinator of the church to ensure that every reported interest in the message aroused through whatever source is personally and promptly followed up by the pastor. What's that say? By an assigned layperson. Wow. This is the work of what? The church board. The work of the church board. I think that we... uh, we have lost sight of what the structure of the church was really for. Let me give you a little uh, sample here. I'm going to slide this over. Here's a little sample church board agenda, and I'm going to... Whoop, that's not what I wanted. Let's say you're... It says Michigan, pick a church. You start with your prayer and devotional, and then you get into your agenda. First thing you ought to do 
is review your master plan of evangelism. Now, that is, involves different things. It involves public ministries, such as an evangelistic meeting coming up, reviewing a public event that you've had, a proposal for an event that may be coming. It involves personal ministries. In our church, we had a, a great controversy project, and, we have, and I'll show you this uh, next time. Outreach territories were developed. We have personal evangelism training that we had scheduled. We have a discipleship ministry that we talk about, certain details that need to be talked about. And often, maybe once a quarter, we review our key interests and who those key interests are and make sure that we know that nothing is falling through the cracks. Then, we will, at least in one of my churches, we have an attendance report. The other one's too big and I can't figure out how to take attendance, but I believe in attendance, keeping attendance, because you can understand when there's people struggling. And so we look at the member needs and talk a little bit about the needs of the members. Then we look at the clerk's report. That's the minutes of the last meeting. Then we look at the treasurer's report. And then we look at the other stuff. So if something doesn't, if we don't get to something, I'll tell you what we're not going to not get to. Planning and strategizing the evangelistic efforts of the church. That's the primary purpose of the church. The board is the primary functioning body of the church. It needs to have that as its primary goal. And so there's just a little, and that is also, uh, that sample church board agenda and everything I'm showing you is going to be on this little QR code if you, uh, if you come up and get that. Now, let me, uh, let me talk about something else here for just a minute since I've got a few more minutes. Um, I'm going to give you a sample of one of these in the next one. But what we've developed in Michigan is a department ministry plan for every department. What that means is that the first thing that every department does is sit down together and develop a plan for how they're going to accomplish what they've been assigned to do. I've lost my clock. What's the time? 45? I've got five minutes, right? Good. So, this is a sample of the elders. The first thing that we do is we meet with the elders and have them develop their plan. It starts this department ministry plan with our mission. Helps them to remember that that's first. Then we, uh, after putting down the date, say, what are your scheduled department meeting dates? We require every department to tell us when their scheduled department meeting date is. When do your deacons in your churches meet, do you know? I can already tell you. As needed. That's code word for never. (laughs) That's the truth. Now let me tell you something. There's a reason for that. The reason is they don't need to meet. And they'll be quick to tell you that. There's a reason they don't need to meet. You don't need to meet in order to keep the factory running. If you want to do the minimum, if you want your church to do the minimum, you don't need to meet. Meetings create work. When you meet, you plan how to improve. You plan how to actually do not just what has always been done, but what you were asked to do, and maybe even beyond what you were asked to do. You see, we've got to get it into the mindset of 
the structure of our church that they need to be functioning again. Read the description of the elders. I can't tell you how many of my elders, when they go to visit someone, say, I've never had an elder visit me. But what does it say right there in the church manual? What's one of the primary works of the elder? To visit. Well, then how do you make that happen? Lay before them a template, a plan, and say, tell me how you're going to do it. When people plan themselves, they own it. And you can then hold them accountable. Do you know what's missing in the structure of the local church? Accountability. Accountability. When I was in the industry world, I worked for a couple, I was a finance guy, an accounting guy, and I worked kind of side by side with the operations manager. And I worked with a couple different operations managers in my time, and one of them, he was a real hands-on guy. He was always in the, in the shop, um, working on the presses, fixing stuff in the trenches. And then I worked for another guy, and this guy was great, Kenny, he was a great guy. But then I worked for John, and John, he was always holed up in his office. And he always had a, not always, but a lot of the time, and he had one of his leaders, a superintendent, a foreman, a a quality control guy, an engineer, the people he was overseeing, he had them in his office and he met with them for three hours once a month. So he had about however many, 15 people under him, and every one of them he met with for three hours every month. And in that meeting, they worked on their goals. What are the goals for your department? And then at the next meeting, guess what they had to do? They had to talk about how it's going. And they could talk about if something's not working right, then let's readjust. Let's do this. Do you know what? He could have just been out on the shop floor and what have you, and they never would have done anything. Well, they would have done something. They would have done the minimum. Friends, we need a structure in our church where the leadership begins to see that God has called them to something so much better than what they've been giving. And to be honest with you, once you give that, lay that before them, they are excited about it. They've wanted some support. They've wanted some encouragement. They've wanted that, but they needed the nudge. And I'll tell you what, we met with our elders. We talked about it. We went through their responsibilities and action plans. Church services and meetings. Here's what we're going to do. And we put specific things on there. We, uh, specific, detailed plans of what we were going to do. Department support. You know, elders are supposed to support the departments. We assigned a different elder to each department to offer support to that department. That support is given in those ways on the top of the screen. Every elder will have an initial meeting with the department leader and the pastor and that supporting elder to give encouragement as well as direction and instruction as to how to complete their department's ministry plans. So, just like the elders developed a department ministry plan, we have one for personal ministries, for Sabbath school, for deacons, for every department. And they have a supporting elder who sits down with them and says, here's how we did it as elders, and here's what we're encouraging you to do. Sit down with your department and develop your plan. Don't forget to tell us when you're going to meet. Right? And then, member care. Visit or contact each member or family yearly for prayer and spiritual encouragement. We said, okay, we've got ten elders. We have this many families in the church, roughly. 
We have 12 months. Okay, so calculate. Okay, every elder, if we want to visit every family in the church, every elder will need to make two visits per month. That's what it came out to. I bet it's pretty similar in your church. They said, okay, so you got it? Two visits per month. That's great. Can you guys up to that? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, two visits per month. After we set up that schedule for two visits per month, the next elders meeting, we sat down and guess what happened? Nobody had visited. But guess what was in front of them on the table? Their plan. So how's it going with the two visits per month? Well, I don't know. Okay, well, maybe what we could do is schedule our visits for this next month now. Okay, let's get our calendars. Okay, are you going to go visit with you? Are you going to visit with your wife? Okay, let's do this now. Everybody sets up their visits, right? Then at the next meeting, about six of the ten had a report of their visit. A couple of them had never done it before. They needed me to go with them. I went with them. I gave them training on how to do a visit. I even put it in their plan. General visits will be both social and spiritual, lasting 30 to 45 minutes, consisting of, gave them a detailed plan. They've got no question. This is how you do it. This is what we're going to do. And when we get together, we're going to talk about how it went. Eventually, they will do it. And they do start doing it. But only when you have a structure in your church that calls people to function as the church designed it. We need structure in our church. There's nothing wrong with the church manual structure. It's just that it's not functioning in our churches. And then we make sure we say in our plan, how can an elder model the overall mission of soul winning and discipleship to the church? Well, we talked about all the ways that they can give their own. They can be modeling giving Bible studies, modeling being involved in the outreach functions of the church. And when that's not happening, we've come back to the plan and we talk about it again. We have probably 12 department plans where all that in blue is what we added. When, when we gave it to them, it was all the black. It just said, okay, tell us your action plan, and they typed that in. So for every department of the church, I encourage churches, require a plan. And you know what happens? And also for every department, we have a calendar of events. So what's your department's calendar of events? And then we bring them all together, and we develop a master plan of evangelism. And it's, it's a collaboration of all the departments. A collaboration. And I'll show you a little bit of that next time, just before we dive into uh, the discipleship. I'm out of time, right? It's 10 till? Yep. Hey, guys, thank you so much. I, I know that it gets a little mundane to talk about tools, but I'm of the mindset that until we get past inspiration and start talking about actual plans and how to actually do it, we will never make ourselves available for the Spirit of God. So let's bow our heads and pray now for the Spirit. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this time we've had, and we pray that you would continue to bless us with insight into how to change the culture of our own churches to be focused on the Great Commission. Give us that Great Commission culture to make disciples who themselves are self-denying workers for you. This is our prayer. We thank you for hearing it. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, 
seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.